Welcome, everybody, to a new Son of Sam Chronicles. Uh, I'm Rocka Mike. We have uh, Rob Rossi, top left, bottom right, Cole DeNaro. And we have a special guest today. His name is Chris. He is a Son of Sam researcher. Um, he's a newbie, uh, but he has a lot of information and he knows his shit very well. So uh, welcome, Chris, to the show. Thanks, guys, for having me. I really appreciate no it. Um, now, this show is going to be a little bit different than maybe you're used to the last few shows we've done. Uh, we're going to touch on more of the cult angle today related to the Son of Sam case and some peripheral characters around it. Uh, Chris approached me with this information, and I was really kind of blown away by a lot of it. There was some new characters that we have not heard about uh, that had some influence on uh, possibly David Berkowitz and even Michael Carr. Um, and Basically, a lot of this information is not based on stuff in the ultimate evil. Okay. It's based on different books. Okay. Uh, so much of the Son of Sam, either the 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 detractors of Mori Terry or the or the people that are more pro-Mori Terry, everything is around the ultimate evil. But I'm going to show you guys a book here. It's called Dead Names. Okay. And it's written by a man named Simon. That's all he says, Simon. And it's a pseudonym. Uh, we have an idea who it is. It's not really important at this point. But um, there were several books written under the Simon pseudonym. Uh, also, uh, author Peter Lavender, who has written some fantastic books about the occult, uh, particularly books about the Nazis and the occult and stuff like that. He was a, uh, a player on the New York scene in the late 60s and 70s. Um, and he has made comments on video and in books about the son of Sam, and in particular that there was more than one shooter, and they knew it at the time and all that. So, Chris, uh, you gave me an interesting timeline, which I passed around to the other guys last night. And uh, basically, I'm just going to go over a little bit of it here. It starts in the late 60s. And just to put it in context for everybody, uh, you know, the 60s were a very turbulent time. Uh, there was multiple assassinations, John F. Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, uh, Martin Luther King and others. Uh, racial tensions were high. Uh, you have to understand that this period um, kind of gave birth to the counterculture movement and the New Age movement. And it also came with a, a new awakening of the occult across the world. So starting in the late 60s is when a lot of this stuff begins. 68. Um, there's two guys that would meet each other. Two men would meet each other at Christopher Columbus High School in the Bronx. Uh, this is a couple of years before David Berkowitz was there. Um, but uh, their names are William Andrew Prasky and Peter Lavender, the author that I mentioned. Um, what they they had a lot of things in common, um, interests in the occult and and religions and things like that. Uh, they were kind of like outsiders in their in their school, um, but they were friends with each other. And one thing that they really had in common is they both didn't want to go to Vietnam. And they were going to do anything they could to get out of it. And they were prepared to even become clergymen and get what was known as a 4D deferment. So, Chris, talk about this a little bit and what you found. Well, I mean. The whole thing gets really interesting, I think, a little bit down the road. But 
the deferment is probably one of the most interesting pieces of all of this because as a result of them trying to become clergymen, they ran into all these different groups throughout New York, which ended up kind of being all around the country as well. It's it's what they call this wandering bishop organization, uh, or it or there, there's different organizations with different wandering bishops, but um, in New York there were quite a few. Um, throughout the process, I guess of of them, you know, getting the uh, the garb they would wear and, and and the trinkets that they would have as as uh, as a priest would or a bishop would, um, they uh, they. <laughs> They 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 become ordained. They actually met a guy in Harlem who had you know as, apostolic secession going all the way back to Saint Peter. He was a Ukrainian uh, monk of some kind who uh, left Russia Ukraine uh, when all the strife was taking place way back when. Um, you know, I think by the time they get to about 1970, um, they were ready to incorporate the church. Uh, which they had in the Barnes Barnes Avenue area of the Bronx, where uh, Berkowitz was obviously living. Um, you know, some of the interesting things about that is while Berkowitz was in the auxiliary police, um, we find out in 1979 from Lenny Dapolito that, you know, they were a pretty tight crew, but Berkowitz would disappear from time to time. I'm not saying that he disappeared to go hang out with Andrew Kratzky and Peter Lavenda, but as we get further into this and we start discussing the book a little bit more, you find out that that might actually be pretty close to the truth as you're going to get. Um, 1971, Berkowitz graduates. Christopher Columbus gets to the Army. Um, I think we all know that story pretty well. Um, in 72, uh, the Warlock Shop opens in Brooklyn, which is really important because that's that's really where, you know, Lavenda and Pratsky kind of get back together. They lost touch throughout the years. Um, you know, there's 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 quite a few weird things happening at that time as well with these wandering bishops that they've become, you know, a part of. Um, let me let me let me jump in for a second here. OK, I don't want to get too far ahead. Yeah. Um, Pratsky, even though he was a, a bishop, I mean, they 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 actually they sought out to have apostolic succession to make it all legit. It was so, really important to them. It was they important. Would, they would walk around with their feet like this. This is my succession. I, I yeah, mean, it, so it was paperwork, everything. Yeah, I get it. I get it. But at the same time, Pratsky was a, was a bit of a criminal. Okay, because he was interested in 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 these rare books. OK, and, uh, you know, rare books and the occult often go hand in hand. OK, there's a lot of people that are interested in rare books that are into the occult. Um, what happened here with these rare books? Well, at that time, Prasky gets hooked up with these two guys, mainly um, the first. Uh, what's their names here? Uh, we got uh, Chapo and Hudak. Uh, yes, yeah, Chapo and Hudak. Exactly. He gets hooked up with these guys. Those two individuals would go to universities throughout the country, dressed up like bishops. Um, right. <laughs> and what they would do is they would go to these, you know, university libraries and they would steal books, rare books. And, wow. and the reason why they would steal them is because 
there's really wealthy people that are into this type of stuff and will pay top dollar for anything they can get that's ancient um, and deals with uh, what we would call, I guess, esoterics or early religions. Um, You know, they're, they they are, they're very, very interested in the theology and, and some of the rituals of the old days, because they believe those rituals work. They believe that, uh, you know, they're going to be able to find, uh, you know, a new, a new way to, to use black magic, so to speak. Um, It's, it's, it's around that time where, you know, I, I really think Lavenda, you know, was running some kind of an intelligence operation. The reason why I believe that mm. is 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 pretty simple. Um, throughout the country, a lot of these churches that were set up by uh, wandering bishops um, became fronts for the CIA. That's uh, that's 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 in in, well in in the timeline and in dead names. If if you read dead names, it's spelled out. Uh, Simon, who is a pseudonym, okay, explains that uh, the American Orthodox Catholic Church, the AOCC, was a front. For- yeah, so, so as as I was saying, you know, that that particularly blew my mind. Um, yeah. And, and I believe uh, from the book as well that there was a similar, you know, intel operation be- taking place in the Bronx. Um I forget the gentleman's name. I believe his last, I, I believe the last name was Profeto. His name is, first name is Walter. Um, these were guys that uh, Lavenda and Pratsky were, you know, uh, encountering throughout their, uh, you know, their journey as, uh, as <laughs> wannabe bishops, I guess. It, it um, says, it says how, um, and Carl, I'm sure you're going to find this interesting. Okay. Is, is in order to get ordained in the AOCC, you had to be approved through the FBI. Yeah, that, that is interesting. Yeah. Now, I don't know what, what you know, what that means. And, and you know, there's some of the same players, uh, I believe, uh, that are in the JFK assassination stuff. Right, Chris? That, yes, yeah. exactly. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, in fact, the the attorney, this this kind of goes off the beaten path a little bit, but I think it's important to state the the an attorney that incorporated the Process Church of Final Judgment in New Orleans, um, he worked in Guy Bannister's office. So, Guy Bannister, so is that Baller? Is that Baller? <laughs> we we could probably spend the whole show on Guy Bannister if we wanted to, but uh, he was someone that was uh, very important in the um, in the investigation into JFK's assassination that took place in New Orleans. Um, you know, after, you know, many years later. Um, Chris. Yeah. uh, His name was Baumler? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, I I mean, that some of these things have just blown my mind totally. That's why I was banging on the table about this book for a while and just wanted to talk to anyone who would listen to me about it, you know? (laughs) Um, uh, (laughs) um, during, During this whole thing with with uh, Hudak and Chapo, um, they come into contact with a with a book um, that they've never seen before, and it, it just really, I guess, blew their mind as guys that were into like black magic and 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 esoterics and that sort of stuff. And what they called it was the Necronomicon, right? And and that Necronomicon, um, 
there's a lot of controversy surrounding it, whether it's a real one or if they found a way to go after (laughs) H.P. Lovecraft's ideas and so forth. Um, That's kind of what Dead Names is about. It's really the defense of the Necronomicon. Um, but it but it includes a lot of the things that were surrounding the area at that time. I think the fact that they had this book and were promoting having this book and we're going to, you know, do a full release is kind of what drew all these different groups to Brooklyn Heights first with the Warlock Shop owned by Her- Herman Slater and later on the Magical Child Gift Shop. And it's important to to put it in context, too, about that neighborhood. All right, because Brooklyn Heights at the time was the capital of the occult in New York City. Okay, there was Coven's, uh, also at, uh, um, nearby Pratt Institute. Maury Terry implies that there were Coven's there as well in the Ultimate Evil. Um, what's 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 really interesting about about Dead Names and and TUE, uh, the Ultimate Evil, is both Maury Terry and Lavenda give coordinates for not only where the Covens were, but but also two women in particular that they believe either went to the Pratt Institute or worked at the Pratt Institute and were, were, were using the Pratt Institute almost as a, um, a recruiting facility uh, for the for the cult. Um, wow. Yeah, it's 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 really amazing stuff because, you know, you read The Ultimate Evil. And that's all you have for, for, for however many years. And then you pick up this other book by an author that's that's pretty well respected. And he's kind of saying the same things that Maury Terry is saying. Um, you know, the coordinates aren't exactly right. But if you put them all together, you kind of get a really good idea where some of these people lived, where they operated and how they operated. It's 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 actually amazing. Um, uh, and the process church itself had its own location there in brooklyn heights over on hicks street yep okay close to montague yeah so they were they were known in the area now the people working in the warlock shop knew about the process church as well um and again this is all you know it's kind of swirling around what would become the son of sam case exactly um sorry what let, let me let me ask you this um what is, in your opinion, okay, where where is the tie here? Where is this link that that has Berkowitz and and possibly even Michael Carr connected with the occult? Well, it, this actually this actually connects two things, and and they're both very important. I didn't put this uh, in in my my original outline, uh, Mike, and I apologize for that, but. Um, the folks at the Warlock shop in that time period, they they knew that there were some really weird rituals taking place in Brooklyn. And those rituals included sacrificing German shepherds. So you have it happening in a warehouse on the water in Brooklyn Heights. And you also have it happening, we find out later on. And Simon is writing about this in Dead Names. Yes. Okay. And, um, uh, yeah, he's writing about it in dead names. And and I think what he's trying to do is draw attention to the fact that this, this, this mutilation or, or sacrificing of, of animals and German shepherds mainly, um, isn't, isn't something that just was made up out of thin air. 
Um, and it wasn't something that was unique only to what we hear about in Untermeyer Park and in Yonkers. Um, it gets really, really weird now, guys, I have to say, because, um, you know, 73, Chapo and Hudak get indicted. Um, that kind of, that kind of, uh, you know, uh, ends itself. They get, caught, they get caught for stealing the books. Yep. Okay. There's a New York Times article on it as well. Yeah, yeah you can look it up. I've, I've read it. Um, but Kratsky, who was kind of the ringleader of this, he's not implicated. Okay. And no, and the reasoning is, is that, you know, Hudak and Chapo never would have got out of, out on bail if that guy got was in jail too. So they didn't they didn't rat him out. Okay. Uh but in the process of this whole thing of them getting indicted and caught, uh Bradsky freaks out and burns all his books that he got from them. Yeah, he does, yep. Yeah. And, and Simon in dead names uh was in the process at that time of having the Necronomicon translated. Yep. And it's possible that the original manuscript of the Necronomicon was burned. Yes. And it's it's really also important to note that uh <laughs> that these guys really took that Necronomicon book very seriously. Um you know and, and there was also some controversy surrounding um how how Hudak and Chapo were uh were actually uh, pinned down by uh, law enforcement. Um, there's a couple of people in the book that try to take credit for it. And I think Simon alludes to the fact that he was really the guy that got those guys jammed up. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I, I really, uh, I find that interesting. He doesn't come out and say it perfectly, but I think if you read the passages enough time, you might come to the same conclusion that I'm coming to. Now that would kind of, so you're saying, Simon may have gotten those guys pinched. Yes. Okay. Now that would that would definitely play into the intelligence angle. Yes. And 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 I, I'm I'm gonna just come out and say it real quick. If you read Lavenda's book uh um biography uh with Simon and Schuster, he's a member of former intelligence. Uh there's a there's an association for you know the name of that book. What's that? You know the name of that book. Uh the and I wasn't aware he had a biography of himself. Yeah, there is a biography on uh, Simon and Schuster. Another another really interesting trinket trinket in his uh, biography is in 1980 he decided to become a um, uh, an exalt an auxiliary police officer in the Bronx. I I, I, I can't call that, but uh, it's uh, <laughs> if that isn't interesting to people that follow the Son of Sam case, I, I don't know what what else would be. You know what, what I mean? year was that that he became that? I, I've got a date of 1980 on that, which was which was long after Berkowitz was yeah. involved. But some I, of the I, other yeah. some of the other guys that were involved in the auxiliary police department um, might have, you know, during Berkowitz's time may have still been there. Which I, I mean, I can't prove that. I'm just, I guess, saying that tongue in cheek. Um, uh, Chris. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you know, you're saying 1980 is is you know well past you know the Son of Sam uh, era, but in reality, it's really not because if you remember, the the case was reopened in late '79 uh, by the Queens DA. Yeah. So uh, who knows? I mean, uh, you know, I mean, we're, we're it's just a it's just a guess, but uh, the fact that it becomes a 
auxiliary police officer in 1980. Maybe it was just to get close to uh, the uh, current um, reinvestigation of the son of Sam. I, I just think a guess. I think well, also in dead names, yes. you remember, um, Simon implies that the, the son of Sam murders continued after, okay, with the cult murders of, uh, I got to forget the name, but a couple that. that Carol that, Marin. Marin, Carol Manning. Ma Marin. 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 Is this the, the, no, well, what about the couple that was found upstate with the blood drained out of their bodies? Yeah, yeah that's, that's Carol Marin, Marin and uh, I think Robert Hirschman, not Robert Hirschman, uh, okay. there's another guy that was. I forget the guy's name, but yeah, that was, that was the couple. Right, right. So, you know, it, 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 it's it's very easy to say, oh, you know, everything ended with Berkowitz, but there is, you know, some evidence floating around that it, it did not. Yeah, the only the only thing, in my opinion, the only thing that ended with the arrest of Berkowitz was using a forty-four caliber bulldog to shoot people. Um, and sending letters. You know, there's a long list of people who met uh, untimely deaths uh, in the, I don't know, 12, uh, 15, 18 months after Berkowitz's arrest. Uh, and then the numbers in the double digits, I forget the exact number. I'm, I'm going to wow. guess around 15, 15 people met uh, untimely deaths within 18 months of Berkowitz being arrested. Oh, including yeah. including yeah. the two car brothers. Yes. Yeah. And there, and there was actually one that, that died almost instantaneously after uh, Berkowitz was arrested. Her name was uh, Suzette Rodriguez. Right. Uh, Funny enough, she was a Bronx kid, South Bronx, I think. And uh, she was arrested a year earlier in Yonkers. She gave an address to Yonkers police um, at uh, 84 Court Street in Brooklyn Heights. Um, why she did that, she also gave a fake name as well. But um, it, it just, to me, it just sounds interesting that this gal, this young kid from who's been hanging out in Yonkers and is from really the South Bronx, when she gets arrested, Pulls pulls eighty four Court Street in Brooklyn Heights out of her uh, out of her bag as her uh, as her as her residence. Um, is that it, it, Chris? Is that is that uh, Court Street? Is that in the vicinity of uh, Brooklyn that we're talking about? Well, yes. Well, how about this? It's like seven minutes from the Warlock Shops uh, place. Okay. A little south. Nice. That's it. And and if you if you go through the coordinates that they give you, both Maury and 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 uh, Lavenda or Simon in Dead Names, um, it, everything's like five six minutes from each other. It's 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 really okay. insane. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, we get to seventy four, and that it's really important in seventy four for me, um, and I think for the Ultimate Evil because that's the year Arliss Perry was um, unfortunately murdered in a pretty heinous way in a church. Um, yeah. California. Yeah. I, I've heard controversy through people that research this and, and, and they don't believe that maybe Arliss Perry really should have been in the book. But I, I do find it interesting that that she was mentioned in this book as well. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff surrounding that case. You could spend three or four episodes of this on, on Arliss Perry alone. Um, but uh, it, it is important to state that it's also the same year that uh, Burke Berkowitz gets uh, discharged from the army. Um, and by 75, he gets, uh, he gets, he moves back to Barnes Avenue. Um, it's at this time where things, where I was saying, get a little weird. Um, they get pretty weird. David Berkowitz meets Michael Carr on Barnes Avenue in 1975. Um, 
probably through Andrew Pratsky, um, in my opinion. Um, through How do you get that opinion, though? I get that opinion because that's where they were hanging out. And Andrew Pratsky and Michael Carr um, were friendly with one another. Uh, they, they shared some common interests. Um, Andrew Pratsky was this guy that was extremely into coats of arms. His father actually had an, an entire workshop where he built all this medieval weaponry and, and garb. Um, uh, my understanding is Michael Carr was involved, interested in that as well. Um, they were also into these really, really weird um, titles of nobility. Um, I, think, I think if you've taken a deep dive into Son of Sam, you'll know that um, Michael Carr used to use a, a name, Baron D. Chernofsky or something like that. Andrew Pratsky used to do the same type of stuff. Um, early in the book, in Dead Names, Lavenda says something pretty interesting. He says, you know, by that point, uh, uh, at a young age, Andrew Pratsky was already dating uh, a lot of older men. Um, there's been some rumors about Michael Carr and, 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 and what he was into. I don't begrudge anybody for that. Um, but, 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 but there has been some rumors that... Uh, um, he was also a homosexual. My gut feeling in all this is, and I can't prove this, but I, I, I have to say it, is that I think those two met through some mutual friends they had that they may have been dating or something like that. Um, that may sound extremely crazy. I apologize if it does, but uh, I, I don't know. Birds of a flutter. As possible as anything, and and especially in the 70s, I believe the gay community was pretty close-knit. So a lot of guys knew each other through their relationships or just from hanging out in clubs and wherever things were going on. What I can tell you is this, is that, you know, in the early 70s, Berkowitz was very much interested in, in religion. Um, and and I, I do believe he met Andrew Pratsky while he was building his church with his father in that area. But that would have been before he even graduated high school. Right. And, and, and I think that's why when he moved back to Barnes Avenue, he would just so happen to end up at a party on Barnes Avenue with Michael Carr and Andrew Pratsky. Okay. Now, the church that Pratsky built was on Hunter Avenue in the Baychester section. How close is that to Barnes? I haven't, I haven't done the map on that in a, in a little while, but, but it, it's really not all that far at all. Um, walking distance, just so people I, understand. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I would say walking distance. Um, and I apologize that I don't have that information with me. Problem. But, um, uh, I, I can tell you that the church that they built was walking distance from their house. The father, uh, Andrew Pratsky's father, literally walked out of Christmas dinner, walked to the church. And hung himself in it in 1984. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, that's, that's part of the thing we're gonna we're gonna get into that possibly another episode. Um, but yes, the father, Pratsky's father was was ordained as a bishop after he was a bishop and got involved in the same it was called the Slavonic uh the heck Slavonic Church. Yes. Uh, the, the yeah the Slavonic Orthodox Church yeah Slavonic Orthodox Church uh, that is the that's the church that Pratsky and Lavenda actually started together 
and they brought in Pratsky's father as a bishop. Okay. Uh, there was a point when Lavenda and Prasky have a falling out, but Lavenda and them make up later on. Um, if you're going to talk about the dad real quick, it, it just seems like Prasky had like a crazy relationship with his father. It, it yeah, was, I mean, I mean, his father was one of these like hard nosed, hardworking, blue collar guys, you know, old like Eastern European guy. Yeah, he was a mechanic for the I think the city of New York or something like that. Um, for the Triborough Bridge and Tunnels. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I mean, he was. Uh, they, they they had some. There was some funny uh, articles about his dad too. They called him like the gnome of like uh, the gnome of Pelham Bay or something like that. It was. <laughs> he was a kind of like a funny guy. He was, uh, you know, and he was obviously into some pretty 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 wild stuff. I mean, he became a bishop late in life, uh, and uh, you know, like I said, he was he was a you know he was a a metal worker. Um, which, yeah, he did ironworks. Yeah, uh, you know, and he he would build these coats of arms and like uh, you know like this armor that they would use back in the uh, in the in the I guess the Middle Ages or the Renaissance and stuff like that. And he um, built the church for and them, he did, and he did build the church as well. Yes. Wow. Wow. Um, another thing happens in seventy five. I think this is where the magical child gift shop finally opens. Yeah, um, and, and just to. So people understand, you know, you had the Warlock shop a few years earlier in Brooklyn Heights. Herman Slater, who owned that, then goes over to Manhattan on West 19th Street and opens up the Magical Child. Uh, keep in mind, too, that the Necronomicon is still being translated. They had problems getting that done. It took a while. Uh, and when the, sh the shops moved over, okay, Warlock shop became the Magical Child. In 75, the Necronomicon still hadn't been published yet. No, but it was completed. Completed with the translation, though, right? Yes. And they and they and they started promoting it pretty heavy, um, at least by the end of 75 and, and definitely uh in early 76. And I think that's I think it's really important because people in that world, I don't care if they were people that were just reading tarot cards or you know, the, the, the Italian Stragas from uh, Pelham Bay in the Bronx or mm -hmm. someone like a process uh, church of final judge of judgment. Everyone was interested in that book. And I think that's really when the business that they had over there was really blowing up. Um, you know, they were doing uh, extensive stuff there. I mean, they were doing classes on nightly basis. They were teaching all types of stuff. Um, you could get all kinds of, uh, uh, you know, human skulls and, 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 and things that people like. And yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I get queasy thinking about it. You know, I, I don't know, but that's, but this is what these people are into. On top of that, you have this Necronomicon. And I think that's, that's really where, um, I think that's really where Lavenda especially has a little bit of teeth behind what he's saying. You know, he knew who was in and out of that place. He knew who everyone was in, to, in, in one regard or another. And, 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 and I think what he's done pretty well is say the process was there. We were extremely worried about them. And this Son of Sam cult existed. We knew who they were as well. And it appeared that the Son of Sam cult and some of these process people 
whether it was, you know, the main group that everybody talks about and knows about or some splinter group of some kind, I don't know, but they were definitely there and they definitely knew each other. And, and I think that's extremely important right now because there's a lot of debate as to whether the process was even involved in what was going on in Untermeyer or if David Berkowitz is involved with them, et cetera. And I think, you know, having an author, you know, talk about this in multiple books, um, not just Dead Names, but Sinister Forces and, and maybe another one as well, um, adds a lot of credence to what Maury had done um, in, 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 I guess, the decades of research he's put together. Well, what's important to realize also is, you know, Lavender himself is, I've seen the videos. Uh, he did a video, I think it was last year or the year before with, uh, with uh, Sean Stone, okay, and who we had on our show here a few months ago. Uh, and I, I, I saw it. He said, you know, we, we knew during the Son of Sam murders that there were more than one shooter. We knew this. Yep. Okay. Now, you know, it's one thing to say, you know, we thought there may be or, or there could have been. or you know, This guy is saying we knew. Okay. That, that's, 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 that's more like, you know, that's more than Maury Terry even put out. If you think about it, he, 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 he didn't even just say that. He mm -hmm. also said, we knew what a cult calendar they were following. That's right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. That's something that I never, I never took a deep dive in that, but Carl, I mean, you know, your, your shooting happened late October. Yeah. Well, what would be the cult? What would be the cult anniversary? You know, holiday. If I'm not mistaken, um, uh, it was it was a week early. Uh, a yeah. lot of a lot of the attacks uh, happened on on like occult holidays or the eve of an occult holiday. My shooting. Um, wow. Uh, from from what I from what I from what I, what I remember, um, the nearest occult holiday would be um, Halloween or. The following day, All, All Souls Day or All mm -hmm. Saints Day, All Saints Day, yeah, All Saints Day. Um, so that that would be a week off. Um, so that you know, I mean that that that's pretty much all I know about it. I don't think there's any um, but any, any other significance to October twenty third. But if you look at some of the other dates, could you match them with a with something occult? Well, I um, I, I don't have that handy. Um, yeah. But but if I'm not mistaken, in the Ultimate Evil, Mori goes through that, uh, and you know, it's not in one concise place, so you're gonna have to read the whole book to get the information. But uh, he does tie. If, if I'm not mistaken, he does tie in uh, all the shootings with, um, you know, with some uh, occult uh, holiday. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I, this is where I think Lavenda and uh, Mori kind of you know, they go their separate ways. Um, Lavenda's a little bit critical of Maury's theory on that. What he yeah. says is that it, it, it was more of an astrological uh, calendar, still dealing with the occult. Um, people don't realize this nowadays because everybody, you know, is so interested in their horoscopes, but that is, that is a part of, 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 <laughs> of the occult. Uh, yeah. And that's and and it's actually every murder happens, I think, when there's either a full moon or a half moon and um, or something to that to, to that 
you know, to that uh, effect. I'm not a hundred percent sure of it, but um, I'm sure someone could probably, uh, you know, <laughs> correct me at some point on this, but um, the one, the one murder in, in, in the son of Sam uh, case that has absolutely nothing to do with an occult holiday or even follow any kind of astrological calendar is the Voskarichian murder. Right. Uh, Carl, let me ask you this. Have you ever heard that that, that murder happened because it was somebody's birthday? Um, no. Okay. I, I've never heard that, but you know, I'm, I'm looking at the dates now and, um, and you know, for what it's worth, uh, f- forget about the months. Um, you know, you got 29, the 29th day, the 23rd day, the 26th day, the 27th day, the 30th, the 31st, uh, the 31st, and then you got the oddball, um, the eighth. Which so, is the eighth? Um, what day? March? Uh, uh, the, the March, yes. That's the Voskarichian one, isn't it? Right, yes. yeah. That goes to what you're saying. What, what yeah. were you trying to say, Chris? I, I, I don't, I, I don't really know what I'm trying to say. What I, what, what I, what all I can tell you is what I've read. That's the one murder that doesn't fit into any kind of timeline. Right. It, it breaks. You're right. It breaks all the molds. And you know, it happened at seven o'clock at night. You know, wow. all, the, all the other shootings happened. Well, only one person involved. With all, the- it's the only shooting. that only one person was involved. Um, yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, and it happened during the week, which is, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the first shooting happened during the week, and the Boscarichian shooting happened during the week, a weekday. And all the other shootings were on the weekend. Hmm. Yep. Um, well, many people have said that the uh, I mean, I've heard this from different people is is the Boscarichian one could have been something done to throw off the police. You know, make them think it wasn't part of the same, but they hadn't actually. They hadn't put them all together at that point. I realize. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not a big fan of that theory for exactly that reason. Yeah, there really wasn't a pattern. Um, you know, March 1077, when the police, uh, you know, had that press conference and said we have serial killer and we've tied uh, five shootings uh, that we thought were random. They're not random at all. After that, then then that theory might hold up. But uh, up to that point, um, they were just random shootings. Okay. You, you said something really interesting there, interesting there Carl. You, you, the, the police are calling him a serial killer. Did they ever use those words specifically? I don't think so. I, I don't I don't know, but I think he is viewed in pop culture. And, you know, I think, you know, you know, the, the, I guess the tongue-in-cheek saying about Berkowitz was he was a serial killer. But when you look at, I would say, a, a big chunk of serial killers, they generally want to get up close and personal with, with their victim. Mm-hmm. Uh, strangulation, suffocation. Uh, right. A, person, a, person, you know, a personal touch, if you will. Right, because cause, cause for, for, for the most part, the, the, their killing is really... Uh, a sexual act of some kind. Berkowitz, Berkowitz, you know, shot and ran. You know, I, I would, I would venture to believe that he probably never even looked at the person he shot in the eye. 
um, if if he if if he was the only shooter, but the any shooter in that entire you know uh, uh, spree basically shot and ran. Um, I mean, they're more like mafia hits than they are, uh, um, you know, uh, what you would read about, uh, you know, in a true crime novel about serial killers. Right. Well, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, those are good points. Um, You know, on the other hand, uh, you know, the definition uh, or the criteria of a serial killer is, you know, they, they, they commit a murder and then they have a cooling off period. And then they do it again when the urge and the cooling off period could be a year, it could be two years, it could be two or three months. Um, So Berkowitz definitely fits into that. There's, uh, I think, um, I think the two Forest Hill shootings were three weeks apart. Um, Other than that, there's months apart in between shootings. But um, just to, to, you know, to finish, to finish up my, my thought on this, uh, Everything we've just discussed is uh, is uh, the reason why uh, that uh, I'm not a big fan of uh, profiling. Yeah, um, because you know it's like, especially you know, I mean, after the fact, you you know, you can see and you can fit, you can make up a story saying, okay, well, this is why he did this today, and this is why he did it on this date. But prior to catching the uh, the criminal, um, you paint yourself into a corner by profiling. Yeah. And, um, you know, and again, in this particular case, if, uh, you know, if, if you're if you're in my camp where I believe more than one shooter existed uh, and participated, um, if you do a profile and you got, you know, the white guy in his in his mid 20s that lives with his parents, you know, the typical yeah. you know, profile, um, you're going to you're going to miss you're going to miss the other evidence that points to multiple shooters which is what i think happened in this case yeah that's just my two cents i i i uh i think i think you're making a lot of sense um you know but chris i always say they look like mob shooting because like they look like they were hitmen just going after certain people you know yeah i i i agree with you i i that's it's it's just really weird i mean you know i think as a, as a kid, the only serial killer I ever knew of was, was David Berkowitz. And, and I thought that's how serial killing kind of happened. And I really wasn't ever interested in the subject. I started watching Dexter uh, many years ago, and I kind of learned a little bit more of the mindset of serial killers. And, you know, Dexter, while it's a Hollywood version of a serial killer, um, you know, the more I read about serial killers after that, they were fairly similar to what, what he was, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, it, 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 the, the, the whole thing blows my mind, everything from start to finish with this case, um, as a result of, of reading ultimate evil and kind of getting, um, you know, immersed in the subject and, and learning as much as I've learned over the, you know, last couple of years. Um, I think there's two points to make here and, and, 76 is is when Berkowitz moves to Pine Street. And I think it's like within a few months, um, uh, you know, that's when the attacks start happening. Let me Um, let me let me interrupt for one second there, Chris. Okay, he moves to Pine Street in 76, 35 point, Um, obviously closer to the cars. Yeah. Right now, 
in your opinion, since in 75 dead names has Berkowitz meeting Michael Carr over at Barnes Avenue. Yeah. And keep in mind, this is the other end of the Bronx, okay, from Yonkers. Yonkers is north and east, okay? Barnes Avenue is more towards the Pelham area, right? Uh, yeah, 100%. Yes. Being from the area, I could tell you, you know, the general move, if you live in the area that Berkowitz lived in in the Bronx, is to go up the sound. You go to Nourishell, which he did. Yeah. Uh, you go to Pelham. You go to Mamaronek, Harrison, you know. And, and, but, you don't move, but you don't normally make that move to Yonkers. No, but, not, you could make the move to Yonkers. That could happen. But you're not yeah. going to make the move to Yonkers all the way on the Hudson River. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I, I mean, unless you have family over there, I don't know why yeah. anyone would want to move there from. from unless, you have, unless you have a friend there. A hundred percent. Exactly. Right. And and I, I, I kind of, you know, this is kind of a puzzle piece that, you, you know, you don't have in the ultimate evil, but you kind of, this is a missing puzzle piece here, I think, because the question has always been, why did Berkowitz move over to 35 Pine? Well, according to Dead Names, he already knew Michael Carr from hanging out over on Barnes Avenue with Prasky. Mm -hmm. All right. That would make sense that, that he knew Michael Carr. Does he know John Carr? See that, you know, that's that we don't have that answer yet. Okay. We don't know how they meet other than their brothers. So maybe Michael brought John into this. I, 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 I have a pretty, pretty good feeling on this. Um, Hank Sinati was a, was a guy that was pretty important in the investigation early on. Um, he mentioned in an interview very quickly that, and I never knew this prior to this interview was Pelham Bay Park. I don't think Maury covers Pelham Bay Park much in the Ultimate Evil, if at all. Passing, but he doesn't get into what was going on over there. But I, I, I believe, I believe, I believe he mentioned uh, again. He didn't go into it, but I believe he mentioned there was rituals going on in Pelham Park also. Yeah, so yeah, which that's is just where, south of Co-op City, I, right? I mean, my 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 assumption is is that Berkowitz was involved in some rituals at Pelham Bay Park. Michael Carr could have been involved in those rituals as well. Yep. And, you know, hey, we're doing something over at Untermeyer by our house. You should check it out. And maybe that's what happened. And 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 he decided to get closer to that end where he now had this new group of friends um, in that side of uh, the county. Um, and keep in mind, too, Chris and Carl, is is. You know, we've talked about how that period outside of when he gets back from the army, he's trying to connect with his friends and it's not happening. OK, he's 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 feeling more like a loner. So just to get in his mind for two seconds here, it's possible that he's feeling like I want I, I'm now in with the group of people and I'm going to follow these people. And that in following them ends up at thirty five Pine. Mm -hmm. I agree. Okay. Hey, um, guys, let me ask you a real question. So now, well, you guys were talking about the court stuff. What if those shootings were like sacrificed for like the moon or the sun god or whatever the hell kind of thing they were worshiping? What if those killing were just, he was trying to make sacrifice to level himself? Or who the hell knows what was going on at this point? If yeah. all these the court and all this crazy stuff, it could easily be something like that too. Who the hell knows, you know? 
it, it, you know, d- definitely, Rob. I mean, it has to be that almost because because if you look at ele- even elements of the, you know, if you look at the process church, okay, whether they were involved as directly or splinter group or whatever it was, the process church uh, believed in bringing about Armageddon and, and terror, okay, and and certainly just by having a random person or people running around shooting people randomly you know couples or whatever it was by by the time they they he was called the 44 caliber killer the 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 city was like in total fear people yeah. were afraid to go out women were changing their hair all that yeah. stuff they were creating that and yes i mean the you know the elephant disco who was elephant elephant is elephant levi an occult figure okay why was it? Why did he pick out of every disco? There were a thousand discos in New York City in 1977. Why did he pick that named disco? Wow. Okay. When I say he, I'm 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 not necessarily saying Berkowitz because he never he never copped to that one. Not oh well, first he copped everything, but he in the years that have passed, he's only said that he did the Bronx shootings. So whoever did that, dirt certainly Chris did it in the in the name of the cult. Yeah. Uh, and, and I, I, I've read, you know, in, 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 I guess, peripheral articles about how these people think and operate. If there is an element of fear in society, they believe the rituals that they're doing, um, becomes more powerful. Yes. Um, and I, you know, I, I really believe that that was the, you know, part of the motive, not, not, not the entire motive, but definitely part of it. Um, you know, especially, you know, when you get to 77, that 19th street location was, was bananas. I mean, and, and, and what I've, what I, what I took from the book is that people knew what was going on in Untermyer park on 19th street at that time. 19th street, meaning the magical child, just so the child gift shop. I I apologize. Um, but you know, I mean, they were all aware of each other and they all knew each other either by face or by name. Um, I'm not saying that they were all hanging out together. I I guess they were all into different, you know, interests. I mean, I I even have stories from that book where, you know, the entire, you know, Wiccan community, depending upon what denomination of Wiccan they were, they were at odds with each other. Um, And they would, you know, sit in their coven and cast spells on each other. I mean, it, it, it's it's really bizarre stuff. Um, it's not stuff that, you know, <laughs> I, I'd ever think I'd be talking about with a bunch of guys on a on a, on a YouTube show, but it was happening, and 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 the belief system is really strong amongst these people. I mean, you know, like I believe in Christ, they believe in that stuff. I mean, it's just you know, it is what it is. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Hey, you know what? It's interesting that you uh, bring that up. Remember when we did that show that we were talking about that one woman that was talking about the cults and the sect and they were having threesome yeah. and all kind of... It's, it's all thing, it's all coming full circle before you think about it. Yeah. And I think sex was a pretty big thing in this. And I think that's... that's, well, that's how you got a guy like Berkowitz kind of hooked into this stuff. You know, Crow- The people that follow Crowley very closely, okay, yeah. uh... I'm not an expert, but from what I've read is, you know, Crowley was re- very interested in the sex magic. Yes. And, and the people that follow Crowley tend to go in that direction. I want to mention also, there was a bar 
on, I believe it was West 13th Street. Rob, you might recall this in your younger years. Bells of Hell? Does that sound familiar? That might have been something. I just, I don't okay. I don't recall. I don't remember. But I, I used to remember going to the Magical Child because it was the place where everybody went. Like, it was just a yeah, place. Bells of, Hell, Bells of Hell might have been gone by the time we started hitting the bars. But yeah. it was owned, interestingly, uh, by Malachi McCourt. Okay? You know who he is, right? Mm-hmm. Malachi McCourt is the brother of Frank McCourt. Frank McCourt wrote Angela's Ashes. Wow. Okay. The book Angela's Ashes, that was very popular in the, in the late 90s. He actually, Malachi owned a couple of bars in the area in the East Village, too, going back to the 60s. Uh, he was one of the first guys that had uh, a, like interracial, an interracial bar. In other words, he, and even for like a, like for, it was advertised as a singles bar and it mm-hmm. was interracial. And actually, the, the mob on the west side didn't like that too much and burned down one of his bars at that time. But the reason I mentioned Bells of Hell is it's mentioned in Dead Names. Okay, Simon does bring this up about how it was a hangout of people that hung out at the Magical Child. Okay, uh, it was a bar that people went to often and, and met there for drinks. And uh, also, it was a hangout of the people in you know the music industry. There was a lot of musicians. Guys that ended up playing in like Black 47 used to hang out there. Okay. Stuff like that. Now, you know, I don't know. I'm not saying anything about Malachi McCord. I don't know. But it seemed that if you have a hangout, somebody's got to know what these these people are into. You know, yeah. I mean, Rob, at International, if, if there were, you know, 25 people coming in all the time and they were into the cult, I think you would know that. Right, Rob? Yeah, you would. Yeah. I'm looking up some picture of it. Um... It's on West 13th, I think, but I don't know where. I see it right here. It was um, a calling on gold smuggling, running bar, and raising hell. Mm-hmm. So I think this bar closed down. Yeah, it did. It did. And, uh, you know, and Malachi is, 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 you know, he's deceased for probably about 10 years now, I think. But uh, I just mentioned that in passing because it's mentioned in Dead Names as another hangout where these people were. And, and you know, of course, I'm always interested in the, the musician side of it where these people are hanging out, too, and everybody's knowing each other. You know, and this is going back in the 70s, you know. So, yeah, I mean, you had you had some pretty, you know, you had some pretty big time people by 77 going to that magical child shop. Uh, well, one person that I always that stands out for me is Patty Smith. Well, I'll go even bigger than that. John Lennon and Yoko Ono. Were John and Yoko ono. Yeah, they used to go there too. Right. Yeah, 105 West 13th Street. 105 West 13th. So that's between 6th and 7th. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you also you also had you also had people like uh Robert Maplethorpe. Um, you know, oh, that's, that was that, that was that was Patty Smith's, you know, boyfriend at the time. Right. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, I mean they they were known to Patty Smith in in her books uh, where she talks about her life. She mentions going going there all the time. Uh, you know, the, but, the, the, there's one other element to this that I find really interesting, and it's kind of what what really pushed me towards Dead Names and Sinister Forces and this stuff with Lavenda. 
he gets interviewed in the Sons of Sam uh, uh, documentary, but the but in the podcast version of it. And um, he says something really interesting in it. He says, we were investigating. We were investigating the process at the time. And I, I don't know. I listened to it so many times and I, I don't understand that part. Um, I have some, I have some feeling on it. I don't know if it's, if it's something we want to talk about on this show, but when you take into account who Herman Slater was and what the type of stuff that he was into, um, it was some really bad stuff, um, stuff that will make your skin crawl. Um, and you know, I, 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 I really wonder why they were, what they were actually using that. What was the real reason why that place existed? Was it really just for the occult? It was, or was it, was it for some, some other aspect, uh, whether it be intelligence gathering or, um, um, or something else? Uh, it's, it's. Well, to say, to, and, and he says this, Lavenda says this in the, the audio podcast that Josh Seaman did for yes. the, for, okay. And it's an interesting comment. We were investigating. Well, you know, who are you to investigate? According to what we know, you you just worked there. <laughs> you know, what was really going on? It's a good question. And, uh, you know, we can definitely get into it. So I just wanted to uh, uh, say that this show today is 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 the first of a couple of shows we're going to do regarding this topic with Chris. Uh, we kind of slapped it together very fast. What do you got there, Rob? Oh, nothing. I'm just trying to get it all. Okay. Um, you know, we're just, we're just going to be talking about this in the next couple of shows. And, and, uh, I really, we didn't have time to put together a whole theme. So we're kind of all over the place today, but that's fine because, uh, this is what we're going to be talking about down the line now. Uh, so I want to thank everybody for watching. And uh, we'll see you in the next episode of the Son of Sam Chronicles. Thank you, everyone. Take care, people. Take care.